Hi friends, my name is Kayla and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. I'm so glad you joined me today for our third week in our series called The Real Bucket List. The idea for this series came from a book by Bronnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. It's a memoir of Bronnie's experience as a caretaker in hospice and the lessons she learned from the people in her care. She boils it down to five regrets and we're walking through each of them together and then holding them up to scripture to hear what God has to say about it. My hope is that we'll walk away from this series in a few weeks with a real bucket list of things we've got to do before our time on earth is over. So far, Pastor Larry talked about living a life that reflects your true self and having a healthy view of work and rest. But today, we're gonna talk about speaking truth. Now, we're not just talking about the absence of lies. The, the Bible is clear on that one too, for sure. It's even one of the 10 commandments, but just not lying is actually a whole lot easier than speaking truth. As a caregiver, Bronnie observed many of her patients regretting the things that were left unsaid, how they didn't tell the people in their lives how much they loved them, how they didn't share their feelings, and how they didn't uh, help some of the conflict that had gone on. Kids don't have a problem with this, do they? Nope, kids can be brutally honest, and sometimes they don't even have to use words. Take a look at this little guy as his parents are meeting the president. Can you tell how he feels about this occasion? Or, or how about this one? This looks like the beginning of an essay for school in like second or third grade, and it's entitled, My Most Interesting Person. Let me just read to you these first two lines. I think my dad is the most interesting person I know. It was easy to pick my dad over my mom because she's more like a regular mom. <laughs> Ouch! And then this little girl clearly has no trouble sharing her feelings with the brave little guy who passed her this note. He asks her if she'll be his girlfriend and she marks no, but then gives him a full explanation. Sorry, I already have a boyfriend, but when we break up, you're my next choice. P.S. That'll probably be in a month or two. I don't know whether to feel sad or hopeful for this kid. And then finally, we see a mom that's really doing her best, and I feel this one hard, guys. She takes the time to write an encouraging note for her kiddo. It says, have a great day, love, mom. And what does she get in return? His response, I will not. Honesty can be painful, guys. And for real, honesty can be really painful for the receiver and for the giver. Pain or the fear of pain is often what holds us back from speaking truth to those we love. Fear of rejection, fear of the other person's reaction, fear of looking stupid even. And if it doesn't stop me completely, that fear can at least have us putting off important conversations. And it gets even worse when there's conflict involved. Pride can get in the way. And maybe it's waiting for the other person to come to you, or, or maybe you think you're doing them a favor by just sweeping it under the rug, saying, it is what it is, I guess. But then you just move on with an apathetic view of the relationship and, and get bitter. In the book, this caregiver watched as people regretted those decisions. When there was conflict, when someone had hurt them or did something they thought was damaging, they kept quiet in an effort to create peace. 
But rather than it bringing peace, they often ended up harboring bitterness and resentment instead. And then at the end of their lives, when there was no time or energy left to say the thing, they were tired and sad. I, I don't want to end up there. I want to learn now how to express myself and tell the truth more often. But this isn't just about saying true things more. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people speak their truth right now, and I bet you are too. But there's something missing in that kind of truth telling, and I think I know what it is. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus. For the first part of the book, he's parsing out some theology about salvation and unity between two main groups of people that made up the church. As he moves into chapter four, he's writing about more practical tips for living that salvation and unity together. He reminds them that Jesus gave us what we need to build up the church, the body of Christ. He says our goal together is to reach unity and maturity, that in response to God's love for us, we would grow to be fully alive together like Christ. He says in verse 14 that then we won't be easily swayed into believing stuff that isn't true. Then in verse 15, and here's where we find what we need. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Speak the truth in love. He's not saying let the false stuff fly. Quite the contrary. He's saying that we have to speak the truth to one another. That's the only way we'll grow into maturity. And now the maturity that Paul was talking about is not just about speaking truth for truth's sake. Maturity in Christ is speaking truth in a different posture for a different purpose. So first, Let's talk about posture. And now this isn't about learning the right way to do conflict. It's not about learning special techniques like the compliment sandwich where you say something nice first and then you say the hard stuff and then you say something nice again just to smooth it all over. It's not learning how to say things in the right way so that maybe it won't hurt so bad. You can't just throw things in to make it better. A posture is something entirely different. You know, when Jeff and I first got married, um, all he wanted for his birthday was a chocolate cake. So being the new wife that I was, I decided I was gonna make him one from scratch. And I decided that I would find the best chocolate cake recipe. So I went to Martha Stewart and I found a seven layer chocolate cake recipe. I even had to buy new cake pans because we didn't own seven of them. Well, I followed the directions. I, I collected everything I needed. And right as I was like putting the batter into the cake pan, I realized that the batter wasn't looking very chocolatey. And, and then I realized I had never actually put any of the cocoa powder in the batter. So I went back to the recipe and I looked and I hadn't missed anything. Unfortunately, this wasn't a recipe for a chocolate cake. It was a recipe for a cake with chocolate icing. Now I panicked and then I realized I could just 
add chocolate. How hard could it be? So I dumped a ton of cocoa powder into the batter and mixed it up until it looked sufficiently chocolatey. Pro tip for any of you new bakers out there, that's not how it works. I cooked the cakes, I cooked, I baked the cakes, I took them out of the oven, I let them cool, although I didn't let them cool for long enough either, and then I assembled this cake. When Jeff came home, I was so excited for him to take a bite of this beautiful chocolate cake. And I gotta give him credit, he took a huge piece and he took a bite as I was eagerly awaiting the praise I knew I was gonna get and it didn't come. That cake was so gross. It was so dry, it was almost sandy. But see, that's kind of what we're talking about here. You can't just throw in some stuff and think it's gonna make everything better. No, a posture is something entirely different and a posture isn't something you can fake either. But a posture is something you can practice. And the more you practice this posture, the more likely you will be to making these conversations, these hard, difficult conversations, come out the way we want them to, in a posture of love. When we focus on putting ourselves in a posture of love first, the mechanics of speaking truth and love will come along easier, and sometimes even naturally. Here's a couple practices that will help us get into that posture of love so we're ready to speak truth. So first, we have to own our own brokenness. So often the conflicts and arguments and relational breakdowns are about something entirely different than what it appears to be on the surface. Think about it. Why do you talk to everybody else about the problem instead of going directly to the person you have a problem with? It's because of something in you. Why do we do little passive aggressive things to punish them or help them know that you're in conflict? It's not for them, it's because of something within us. Why do you not confront somebody when they're doing something that hurts you and instead you just let it eat away at you? That's because of something within you. And why do I take what other people are doing so personally? It's not because of them, it's because of something within me. So before we go speaking truth to anybody else, we ought to start with the truth about what is within ourselves. In Luke 12, Jesus was teaching a large group of people when someone from the crowd shouted out to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. First of all, wow. I mean, that's like the ultimate tattletale right there. This guy was trying to play the king of all trump cards. But Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them about a story about a greedy landowner. Now, I don't think that was exactly the response this guy was hoping for, but Jesus was simply pointing out his brokenness. The man saw injustice but Jesus saw the greed within him. You see, even if it was fair for him to have half the inheritance, his posture was all wrong. It was wrong because he hadn't owned his own brokenness yet. In one of Jesus' most famous sermons, he drops this line, and you might've heard it before. It says, 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying, you can't even see straight if you haven't taken care of your own stuff. You can't come at someone with truth when you haven't even told yourself the truth yet. But there's even more to it than that. See, sometimes the reason we hold on to bitterness and resentment is because while we understand grace in theory, if we haven't come face to face with our own brokenness, then we can't fully experience the grace God gives us right in the middle of all of our brokenness. When you take the time to own your own brokenness and accept God's love and grace and forgiveness for yourself, your posture toward others changes as well. It makes us more gentle and gracious. It readies us to forgive and to speak truth in a posture of love. The second practice is to lay down our rights. Now, I'll be honest, we aren't great at this as a culture. We really love our rights. We cling to them, the things we deserve and the things that we're promised. There are times Though I get it, when you just want to feel some justification in a conflict, you, you may even actually deserve some vengeance. And sometimes you simply want the satisfaction of others knowing how well you handled the conflict. And yet, it's really hard to get into a posture of love that way. And this is actually a practice that Jesus didn't just teach us about, but he modeled for us. See, Paul talks about it in his letter to the Philippians. This is what he said in the message version. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. Jesus never leveraged who he was for his own sake. He set aside his rights and privileges. He didn't demand the rights he actually deserved. He opted for a relationship with us instead which leads us to the final practice to get ourselves in a posture of love, and that's to value relationships. We just read that Jesus laid down his rights all the way to the cross, and why did he do it? So we could be in relationship with him. He valued relationship with us, and that set the stage for us to do the same. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he was teaching them about this new life we receive when we choose to follow Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he writes, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the word reconciled is actually a banking term. It gives us the idea of making things right, of balancing the books. And that passage says that God balanced the books with us because of Jesus. And he's given us the ministry, the work of reconciliation as well. It is our ministry to balance the books with each other. 
we not only get to have the honor of sharing God's offer of reconciliation with the people in our lives, we are also given the work, the ministry of reconciling our own relationships because of the work God did in our lives. See, when our goal is reconciliation and relationship, speaking truth has a different ring to it. We're no longer talking to be heard. We are working to be healed. See, when Bronnie listened to the regrets of the dying, she didn't hear, oh, I wish I would have given them a piece of my mind. No, she heard, I wish I would have told them how I feel so we could mend our relationship. I wish I would have confronted that hurt so that we could be close now. They wanted to build a bridge. But the only way to build a bridge in relationships is by love. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, friends, you will not always say the right thing in relationships. You will not always say things in the right way. But when the other person knows they are loved by you, when they feel cared for by you, it creates a safe space for you to fumble your way through difficult and awkward conversations with them. Speaking truth isn't about saying whatever you want, whenever you want. It always has a bend toward reconciliation. It's about reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other. So who is it for you? Take a minute to identify a relationship where you've been holding on to bitterness and resentment instead of moving toward reconciliation. Maybe someone really hurt you by saying something horrible or maybe by something they did. Maybe it was a long time ago and it's embarrassing to think about bringing it back up now. But whoever it is and whatever it is, don't waste any more time on bitterness and resentment. Let's start walking toward reconciliation by putting ourselves in a posture of love. And let's start with prayer. You can pray this right along with me. God, I want to experience the kind of newness that comes from reconciliation. Please open my heart to this person and give me a spirit to see them like you do. Today, I own my brokenness. I know I'm not perfect and I need forgiveness from you and from others. Right now, I release my grip on what I think I deserve and commit to the reconciliation of this relationship instead. Thank you for the grace you've shown me so I can show it to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.